Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is the most exciting half an hour of science on your radio that can that it can stand, I think, possibly. Any more exciting and, and um, your radio will self-destruct. It will. It will. The, the crystals that run it will just kind of melt. <laughs> if you have an old crystal you, radio set. You heard it here first. The crystals will melt. <laughs> uh, my name is Chris and... Uh, look, like a few people, I have been, I guess, suffering one of the last uh, viruses, colds of winter season here in, in the sunny land of Australia. Um, they've seen me doing the last rounds of colds and flus going around, and I was knocked oh, out for a week. It's been an intense flu season, hasn't it? It has. It is this has. what your story's going to be about? It is, basically. It had me wondering about the whole what's going on in your body when you're sick, effectively, yeah. and in particularly about inflammation, which is kind of the process of thing when your body is fighting an infection. Um Inflammation is currently a really big topic in, in medical research. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on about it. So I'm going to have a look at a bit, a bit of that, what's going on with it, why people are so excited and... and why yes. people are excited about why, inflammation? Yeah, yeah, but also why, you know... Is it because inflammation and inflammation mean the same thing? <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Kind of, yes. I mean, is it, does it really... People don't call talk about inflammation. No one talks about inflammation. Yeah, but it's not the opposite, is it? Maybe not, no. no. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm going to be looking at what it's all about and, you know, why maybe, you know, there's a lot of hype at the moment, and but don't jump to conclusions as well on it too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Claire, what do you got? Well, um, I actually have an interview today. We um, are joined by Dr. Gail Isles, who is a physics lecturer at RMIT University. And Gail um, has done a lot before she um, came and um, started being a physics lecturer. She has trained astronauts. She has flown in microgravity. Um, she has been on the, what's it called? When you go into um, oh, the the parabola thing. Oh, like just... the vomit comet. She has been in the vomit comet. That's the plane where they go into like a parabolic flight. So yes. you get free fall and you get zero gravity when you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, she's been wow. on that many, many times. Wow. I'll, I will tell you how many times she's been okay. on it um, in the interview. So she's she's going to talk a bit about um, her experiences training astronauts. Um, she trained Chris Hadfield oh. um, and um, and others. And also a bit about um, an event happening at ScienceWorks on the 23rd of September. So the Astro Light Festival um, for those in Melbourne is happening on the 23rd of September. So she'll talk a little bit about that as well. Excellent. Well, looking forward to that. On with the show. Yes, you are listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris and... Let me just go out there on a limb and say that colds and flu aren't very pleasant. 
Let me guess. You had one very recently. I did have one very recently. <laughs> I had I had a run of, of many of the symptoms, you know, your, your cough, your, your runny nose, your sore throat, your headache, your, your yeah. muscle pains oh. and fatigue and this kind of stuff. But it was still just a cold, right? It wasn't like, you know, flu had you on, the, had you on your back I don't for think like it was a flu, two but, weeks. But, you know, I had you know. And I had the flu injections this year, so I'm thinking it was just a bad cold. Yeah. Yeah. But um, look, the, most of the symptoms you get of, of cold and, and a lot of the ones from flu aren't caused by the virus itself. Uh, in the case of cold, it's usually the rhinovirus. Just wanted to name check the rhinovirus there. Um, but it's caused by the inflammatory response of the immune system to right. the infection. So inflammation is basically our body's response when we are, have an infectious thing in, you know, come in. Uh, basically, that's what it is. I don't know how else to explain what, what that means. Um, so essentially what happens is it is what happens yeah, when you, what your immune system does when it recognises an attacker, an invader. Um, I suppose that the clearest example of this is when you get an infected cut or sore. Various things happen. Basically, the, the immune cells, when they, they recognise, say, the bacteria coming into the cut, they release all these chemicals that bring on this inflammation process. They dilate the blood vessels, which gets more blood flow in. That causes it to go red and, um, and heat up because there's more blood coming in. Um, plasma leaks out of the blood vessels into the tissue, and so it swells up from mm. the, the, excess, the excess fluid coming into the tissue. Um, and then there's other chemicals put out that increase the sensitivity to pain and you know, also could kind of immobilise the, the, um, the infected area as well. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty unpleasant process, which is from a cut, obviously, it swells up and gets really sore. When it's happening in your nasal passages, also not a lot of fun. And, yeah, so it's all these chemicals that they, their cells release is causes a lot of these, um, this kind of inflammation sort of symptoms. Uh, these are, there are some well-known chemicals that come out. One, one of them is called um, the C-reactive proteins. You might have heard those. Well-known? Well-known chemicals? Well, they're, they're well-known. They're, they're, <laughs> well-known see, around the traps? When people study inflammation, they often talk about levels of C-reactive proteins because they're produced okay. in inflammation. What they okay. are, they're these proteins that, that attach themselves to dead and dying cells. Okay. And they basically say, hey, here's a dying cell. So then the macrophages, the big kind of white blood cells, white blood cells come yeah. along and eat them. Okay. Yeah. Then there's other ones, there's smaller ones called cytokines. Ah, um, yes. Yeah, you might have heard of cytokines. I've heard of cytokines. What, there's, they do various things. Uh, one of the things they can, some of them do is tell the hypothalamus in your brain. You're pointing to your brain. I'm pointing yep. to your brain. Um, that's the bit that regulates things like your, um, your it's body. It's at the back, isn't it? I think it's somewhere in the middle. Oh, it's somewhere in the middle. All right. I think so. You can point anywhere, but yeah. you can't, can't you? Um, that's that regulates your body temperature. So it basically sends a message oh. saying, raise the body temperature. And this is why you get a fever, which is, you know, you heat up, but also why you feel cold because your body is actually trying to raise its body temperature. And so as a result, you feel, oh, I'm too cold. I'm not hot as hot as I'm supposed to be. So it's not like when you have a heat from high from outside, like in heat stroke, where your body temperature goes up, but you also feel the heat. Yeah. You know, and this basically you reset to a new normal, which is a higher level, and which can help, you know, speed up the immune response. But yeah, then you feel cold because you are not yet at that higher level. So unpleasant all around. Unpleasant. Fever. unpleasant. Would not recommend it. No. And, and of course, you can have a, too much of a good thing with your, with your cytokines. Um, have you heard of a <laughs> cytokine storm? No. <laughs> no. I haven't. I haven't, but... I have a feeling you can tell me about it. Yeah, a cytokine storm. Okay, so the cytokines are, yeah, there's some of these messenger chemicals that are produced by the white blood cells. Now, one of the things they, one of the other things they do is they will stimulate white blood cells to be more active um, because their messenger is saying, hey, come and attack this infection. 
sometimes you can get a positive feedback loop when it's a really bad infection. So what they do is they'll stimulate white blood cells, which will then go release more cytokines, which will stimulate more white blood cells, which will release more cytokines, and it just keeps going and going and going with positive feedback until it gets out of control, Whoa. inflammation. And um, this is believed to be the main reason, main thing that killed people in the 1918 Spanish flu um, pandemic was this, because um, it was generally people with healthy immune systems and it just overreacted. It just kind of had this cytokine storm and just blew them away effectively. So you can Dangerous. have too much of a good thing It's what I'm saying. And this is similarly too much of a good thing when you have chronic inflammation. Um, and this is what I can get in autoimmune diseases and these kind of things. It's basically inflammation in your system when there is no acute infection. You know, there's more localized ones like um, hay fever or rheumatoid arthritis, those kind of things. Um, there's also um, diabetes, um, related to inflammation, like type 1 diabetes, and even depression. They found uh, markers of inflammation in people with depression, and often some anti-inflammatories can improve mood. So, yeah, it can have a lot of effects. Also, um, cardiovascular disease. So atherosclerosis, which is the hardening of the arteries that can cause cardiovascular disease, that starts with chronic inflammation where white blood cells attack the lining of the arteries, get into the lining of the arteries. Uh, once they do that, then um, cholesterol starts to build up plaques inside that lining as well and doesn't get removed and it just gets bigger and bigger until it kind of gets blocks enough of the blood vessel that you get a clot and, yeah, you get a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. So, yeah, again, inflammation is part of that. So this is one of the reasons why there is currently a lot of attention on inflammation in, because it is associated with all these conditions. And there was a recent study that um, involved 10,000 patients. They were testing a drug that targeted a particular cytokine called interleukin-1-beta. And they wanted to try and reduce the, the risk of heart attack and stroke. They found that it worked for that, but it also had a massive drop in the rates of lung cancer in the patients that they studied, which is kind of a surprise effect. Wow. Which suggests that some cancers may also be related to inflammation. To inflammation. Yeah. So this, Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a great thing. You can see why people are excited about it. Yeah. Why I'm talking so fast, because it is why quite exciting. You are, you, it, is, it is very exciting. Yeah. But there is a problem. Okay. When they do these trials where they test these anti-inflammatories to find the benefits for things like, you know, heart disease and cancer and depression, um, they also often find they get an increased risk of infection because, again, inflammation is part of the immune system. It's how the immune system responds to infection. So if you try to knock back inflammation, then you also weaken the immune response and you're more vulnerable to infection. It can be like sepsis from, you know, infected um, wounds or could be even tuberculosis some of the people were getting. And now I find this quite fascinating because the immune system, of course, is hugely important. And we often think of it being on our side. Uh, and it's just been studied a lot in conditions like cancer. And the idea that you know, something is wrong with the immune system is why the cancer cells are get, getting out of control. Um, and that we need to work with the immune or promote the immune system. But here's a case where an overactive immune system is the actual thing causing damage itself. So, yeah, look, it is, it's basically a balancing act of you don't want too much, you don't want too little. And yeah, uh, and you don't want to um, get TB if you're, you know, trying to knock out something else. Yeah. So with all these studies, you know, these are, I guess it's early days for a lot of this stuff. You know, don't just assume we're going to knock out inflammation entirely because there could be, you know, side effects. But it is a matter of a balancing act of, of the, um, yeah, what the, getting the optimum in it. But there's just something that I guess I should mention that, you know, in the meantime, of course, the alternative health industry has jumped on the bandwagon as well, and you see. A lot of claims for supplements and superfoods that supposedly fight inflammation. 
pretty much without fail, whenever you see these things that fight inflammation, they also say they boost the immune system. So these are generally opposites. So if you see those two claims together, it's usually a good sign that people don't know what they're talking about. And that, yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) Don't generally boost the immune system and reduce inflammation at the same time because they're the same thing. So, yeah. Anyway, hopefully inflammation... Um, we will learn to fight all these the bad effects of inflammation and improve our health in the future. Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations to boldly go where no radio has gone before. Training astronauts, flying in microgravity, using neutrons to probe the structure of matters, and researching magnetic nanoparticles. These are just some of the ways my guest today spends her time. Dr. Gail Isles is now a lecturer in physics at RMIT University, and she joins me in the studio. Gail, welcome to Lost in Science. Thanks, Claire. Great to be here. So, Gail, you were an astronaut trainer, um, and now you're a physics lecturer. Now, um, tell me, how do you get from one to the other? What has been your journey? So, I actually trained as a teacher in the UK and taught there for many years, and that, in fact was part of the reason I was selected to be an instructor for the astronauts. I had a strange combination of teaching, physics degree, and experience in zero gravity. And all of that combined together made me uh, very suitable for working with the astronauts. And it uh, was a very interesting experience. I imagine it would have been. The students are slightly different. (laughs) So you were a um, a high school teacher before? Uh, I was um, a college lecturer. So a college was, uh, lecturer, right. Okay, so 16, they're a little bit older maybe. A little bit older, 16 to 19-year-olds and also <laughs> mature students, uh-huh. uh, some of which the, the college uh, was uh, catered to many vocational courses. So I saw a lot of a wide range of students and was teaching maths and IT. But I also would work with children in a private tutor setting. So I did have, I did see young, younger children. So quite, quite different from um, what I imagine your students were like when you got to the European Space Agency and um, you were training them to be astronauts. Quite right. So we were very lucky in Europe that we would see all of the astronauts. So we saw the Russians, Japanese, Canadians, Americans and Europeans because... The training program is quite intense for the astronauts and they all go to all centres. So they would start their training at NASA, head on up to the Canadian Space Agency, come across to us at Europe, head over to JAXA in Japan and then final training would be at Star City in Russia. Star City. Yes, (laughs) before they would launch to the space station. Wow. So we saw them all. And, um, I mean, I trained Chris Hatfield amongst many others. And Chris Hatfield, for um, our listeners, is um, 
probably the most famous astronaut living at the moment, um, made famous, of course, because he um, sung David Bowie's Space Oddity while on the International Space Station. That's right. Um, He's very good at guitar and he's also an amazing uh, science communicator. Absolutely, yeah, and he's uh, he was great fun and uh, very professional at the same time and um, made us all feel special. Fantastic. So when they came to you, what did you teach them? So the European contribution to the International Space Station, or one of them, is the Columbus Laboratory. So this is a scientific laboratory where you can perform experiments and my role was to teach them about uh, systems such as the communication system, I did a bit of power systems, and even a bit of uh, life support and water system. Oh, right. So these are all the systems that are in place to support scientific experiments and the research that's done by the astronauts on board. So extremely important stuff. Oh, yeah, life and death. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Um, So tell me, which one do you prefer? Uh, uh, lecturing or training astronauts? I love them all. Okay. Teaching. It's a very diplomatic <laughs> Well, teaching um, is so varied and it's as much learning stuff as it is teaching stuff. The, the, I've, I've taught all ages, all abilities, all nationalities, and I've always learned something from the students. And the students here are great fun at RMIT, full of life. <laughs> That's good to know. Very bubbly. That's excellent. And, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm just uh, loving teaching again. It's great. Fantastic. Um, now, Gail, you have an award. Uh, actually, I was pretty um, impressed to hear this. Five hundred parabolas flown on board an A three hundred zero G Airbus. Um, that's a lot of parabolas. Um, <laughs> I was saying before that um, is that is is a can you talk us through what a parabola is? Because at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm imagining back to my year 11, um, year 12 maths, um, or thinking it's some sort of acrobatic move. <laughs> 500 parabolas. Yeah, it, it is quite acrobatic. Um, and the word is a mathematical word. It describes a shape. But um, the, the easiest way to think of a parabola is if you look at your bedside lamp and look at the shape that's reflected on the wall, that oh. thing makes a parabola shape. Right. And if you flip that parabola on its head, that's the path that the plane flies out. So, you know, the the plane starts out flat, but it actually goes up and over the top like a roller coaster. Right. So you're in a plane. Yep. Um, it's in the air, and instead of flying in a straight line like um a normal a plane. normal person <laughs> <laughs> would want to fly, yeah. you were flying. On a parabolic course. Exactly, yeah. Wow. So you okay. go up at a really steep angle, then oh they then they cut the, cut the power from what? the engines. <laughs> and then what happens? Then everything goes into free fall. And it's so cool. It's the best feeling ever. What does it feel like? It feels the closest thing would be if you kind of jump into a swimming pool, if you bomb into a swimming pool mm-hmm. and then you're completely supported and you've got no idea which way is up or down and you're just moving around and your body's supported. So it's nice to to lose a few kilos. (laughs) Momentarily. For 20 seconds. For 20 seconds. Okay, so 20 seconds. um, The the large jet is flying, hurtling towards the earth. Yeah. (laughs) 
And at that point, the pilots then rescue it. So, so you've gone over the top. You've had this 20 seconds of fun. But then, yeah, the plane is plummeting to the ground to a certain death. So it's a good idea for the pilots to rescue that. It's a very good idea. Yeah, and they do, 30 times a day. Wow. Yeah. Can you get a lot done in 20 seconds? Yeah, sure. So you design the experiment so that what you want to measure and what's key, the key process that you want to look at, you design it so that all of those important things occur in those 20 seconds. Mm. So, for example, we had an experiment that was melting metal, passing it through a gas and observing how the particles formed. It's fundamental physics, but it has lots of applications. I'm Maggie Adairn-Pocock, and you're listening to Lost in Science on 3CR. So you are listening to Lost in Science on 3CR and I have Dr. Gail Isles with me today, physics lecturer and previous astronaut trainer with the European Space Agency. So Gail, apart from um, your lecturing, um, you're also currently engaged in research and um, bringing your love of space to Australia. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about your future um, research paths? Yeah, sure. So the magnetic nanoparticle device that we were flying on the the Zero-G Airbus in France is actually a really interesting uh, piece of equipment. And what I'm planning on doing here is to, first of all, recreate that device and then modify it slightly. (laughs) You got a twinkle in your eye. I like that. (laughs) So that I can... I'm going to attempt to reproduce the effects of zero gravity in the laboratory. Wow. So you can only do this with magnetic compounds, magnetic substances. But Mm -hmm. if you put uh, some coils, some conducting coils around a chamber and uh, pass a huge electric current through them, then you generate a magnetic field. And things can float inside that magnetic field. And it's, it's um, it's a parallel environment to zero gravity. Um, is, this, is this going to be on a small scale? Yeah, it's going to be about the size of a, uh, a smoothie maker. Okay. <laughs> so it'll fit on your kitchen surface if you wanted to make one of your own. At home? <laughs> at home. <laughs> All the materials you need at home, exactly, I'm sure. Exactly. Just press that button and whiz it up. Um, and um, any any plans to get the parabolas happening in Australia? Do we do we have parabolic flights happening in Australia? No, unfortunately, we don't. And uh, actually, this week, uh, last week, sorry, I was attending the Australian Space Industry Review. So the the government have uh, created a task team of experts in Australia, and they are going around all of the seven states in Australia and. Uh, collecting all of the information and projects and expertise that we have in Australia in space. And ultimately, they will decide the future of Australia on the global stage in space. So we're hoping, this wasn't mentioned, but we, the uh, enthusiasts, are hoping to one day have an Australian space industry. And parabolic flights would form a part of that, certainly. And... Uh, what I would like to do in RMIT, along with my colleagues, is to launch the first CubeSat. Um, and for those who don't know what a CubeSat is? 
It is a small cubic satellite. Oh. And you put some uh, some nice cool things on it. Experimenty experimenty things, things and and a little computer and communication thingies and you send your experiment into space, just mm. low earth orbit. Mm-hmm. And then you can Get, collect all the data as it's sent back to you and uh, we want to have our students make this and we're hoping to launch it. So many, many universities, many companies launch CubeSats and the advantage with such a small payload is that uh, you you piggyback onto an existing launch so you right. don't you don't okay. need your own rocket you no, don't because that would make things a bit more expensive exactly you yep. just you wait until somebody somewhere in the world is launching a rocket and you say have you got room for a little one it's, it's just very it's small. a very small it's very one small. it won't take up too much space and they say yes a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> please yep. and then you launch it Oh, fantastic. And it hasn't been done in Australia before? Oh, no, there's lots being done in Australia. Okay. Um, Certainly uh, many of the universities have that capability and Mm -hmm. and, uh, lots of expertise, but RMIT hasn't done one yet. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, important important, uh, distinction. Um, Now, for our listeners who are in the Melbourne region, um, I believe you will be giving a public talk at an upcoming event at ScienceWorks in the next couple of weeks or so is that correct yes saturday the 23rd of september we are the astrolite festival is taking place so this is a public festival come along bring the children at science works at science works in spotswood and you can it's for adults and children alike and there will be a series of talks demonstrations exhibitions and rounding off the evening around about 9 or 9.30 p.m., there will be uh, a, an evening of astronaut stories. So we'll oh, be wow. joined by an astronaut. The, Fantastic. Um, astrophysicist Katie Mack will be there. She's amazing. She's, she's fabulous. She's a regular on Lost in Science. Yes. So um, it's, it'll be a star-studded panel. Oh! And me. <laughs> <laughs> it remains a star-studded panel. <laughs> Well, Gail, thank you so much for joining us on Lost in Science today and um, we look forward very much to um, hearing more about your space research into the future. Thanks, Claire. That's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Thank you very much to our special guest. Dr Gail Isles, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us um, about training astronauts, uh, magnetic nanoparticles, that CubeSat um, that will launch in the future and the event happening at um, ScienceWorks. Brilliant. And, of course, thank you to our immune system. Um, just don't work too hard. And yeah, make us sick. take it yeah. easy. Yeah, take it easy. Yeah. You know, think about whether take all, this stuff, all this stuff is really necessary, whether you need to damage <laughs> us that much as well. But but keep up the good work as well. Don't, yes. Don't, don't do the, don't stop the good stuff. Don't desert us. No, that's right. Uh, Lost in Science, it is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It is across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Um, we'd love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like our page and get updates and message us directly and this kind of stuff. It's heaps, heaps of fun. Um, we are Lost in Science on 3CR, I believe, on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. We are Lost in Science 1 is our Twitter handle. 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 Can you handle um, it? And you can find our podcast on the internet, maybe on your local podcast service. Um, if you find us on iTunes, as some people do, I'm sure, then please take the time to give us a, a good rating and a review to make us – well, no, to make us <laughs> – 
make us look good, but also to make us so we, you know, it helps us come up good in search engines and this kind of stuff. And other people will help us share the love, share the love, and they'll find out about sharing know, is caring. Yeah, the vomit comets <laughs> and micro nanoparticle, um, magne- magnetic nanoparticles, and and um, fever and pus. Everyone needs a bit more science in their life, Chris. Exactly. Um, you can also listen to us next week on the radio, though. That's also a good place to find us. When once again, Claire, Stu, Manisha, and Chris will get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.